the I'm going to Florida. We're going to Florida to Leah's parents, and we're coming back after Pesach on Monday. So we're talking about not a week from tomorrow, but two weeks from tomorrow, as that's Hashem, we come back to Palo Alto. So we're not going to go for, it's going to be a little over two weeks that we're going to take a break. So that, that was, you know, scheduling, I just wanted to let everyone know. Um, second of all, I wanted to share with you guys something that I we learned this morning together with Jonathan, but um, so a very, very powerful idea from, uh, from Rabbi Pupko Sr. So not Rabbi Pupko in Sunnyvale, but Rabbi Pupko who's the rabbi in Montreal. Okay, very powerful idea about the Haggadah. So I'm going to share my screen because that's where the source sheet is at. Okay, so the in the Haggadah, there's a theme that we are supposed to focus on. And that theme is supposed to be the idea that initially we were not in great places and then later on we got to a very good place. And the reason why this has to be a focus to think about where we were at the beginning and not just that Hashem saved us, but also where we started out is, of course, to help build a higher level of hakarat hatov, a higher level of gratitude, recognition of the good that Hashem has done. So if you recognize where you started from and how terrible off, terribly off you were, then you're that much more grateful when you see where you ended up. Okay, So there's this obligation to describe the fact that initially things were not going well for the Jewish people. And the sages in the, in the Gemara, they describe it in two different ways. They describe it either in terms of the fact that initially we were slaves or in terms of the fact that initially we were idolatrous worshiping, okay? So one of those two ways is right here. So we say, initially we were idol worshipers. From the beginning, our ancestors were idol worshipers. And now the place of all has brought us close to his worship as it is stated. Now we quote a passage from Joshua. Right before Joshua dies, at the end of his time, leading the Jews into the land of Israel, conquering most of the land of Israel, and dividing up the territory to the 12 tribes. So after, I think it was 14 years, he passes away. And before he passes away, he gives his last moral will and testament to the Jewish people. He said to the whole people, so said the Lord God of Israel, over the river did your ancestors dwell from Oed. Herach, the father of Abraham and the father of Nachar, and they worshiped other gods. And I took your father, Abraham, from over the river, and I made him walk in all the land of Canaan, and I increased his seed, and I gave him Yitzchak. And I gave to Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Esau, and I gave to Esau Mount Seir in order that he inherited it, and Yaakov and his sons went down to Egypt. Shirit, you want to ask a question? Yeah, when we, when we said at the beginning uh, we were idol worship, what do we mean by that? Because I thought that while we were in Egypt, enslaved, we were actually... Um, did, did we, is it that time or is it Avraham's parents or what do we refer to here? Those are both, both very good possibilities. The, the Midrash says that indeed we worshiped idols when we were in Egypt. We were completely steeped in idolatrous practices as well. The Rambam, the Maronis quotes this as well. On the other opinion, seemingly the person who put together, the, who was Mistader, right, who put together the Haggadah, seems to understand that this is actually a reference to, and indeed, if you look at the Pesukim, at the verses in Joshua, that does seem to be the references. The reference seems to be what happened when they were, uh, you know, way back when, that Abraham's parents worshipped other gods, and then Abraham himself introduces monotheism back into them. Okay? So, the fact of the matter is, we quote this part of the Pesukim in Yehoshua. What's interesting is, what do we leave out? Because once we get up to blessed be the one who keeps his promise, that is no longer a quote from Joshua. But let's look over here and let's go down to source number three and source number, I'm sorry, source number four. 
Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem and summoned Israel's elders and commanders, magistrates, and officers with the sentiment of before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel. In the olden times, your forefathers, Terah, father of Abraham, father of Nachar, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshipped other gods. I took your father Abraham, and so on, right? This is all quoted in the Haggadah. But what's not quoted in the Haggadah? Let's go a little further. Then I sent Moshe and Aaron, and I played Egypt with the wonders that I wrought in their midst, after which I freed you. I freed your fathers from Egypt, and you came to the sea. But the Egyptians pursued your fathers to the sea of reeds with chariots and horsemen. He cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. Then he brought the sea upon them, and it covered them. Your own eyes saw what I did to the Egyptians. Now, if we were putting together the Haggadah and putting together the Seder, we would say, obviously, you just buried the lead. You totally left out the crescendo, the climax, right? The purpose of quoting Joshua is only to tell us, and then at the end, God redeemed us. That's the focal point of the Seder. So why do we leave that point out when we're quoting Joshua? That's question number one. Question number two. Which one did we leave out? Sorry. We leave out everything from, then I sent Moshe and Aaron, and I think, oh. so all we talk about in the Haggadah is that we went down to Mitzrayim. We don't talk about the fact that then Hashem redeemed us. I mean, we talk about that, but we don't quote the passage from Joshua in support of that concept. Okay. Then we go back up. Let's go back up. The next part of the Haggadah, in which we talk about bad things that happened to us, we talk about go and learn what love on the Aramean sought to do to Yaakov, our father, right? This is part of the Haggadah. Since Pyro only decreed a death sentence on the males, but love and sought to uproot the whole people. I stated an Aramean was destroying my father, and he went down to Egypt, and he resided there with a small number, and he became there a nation great, powerful, and numerous. And he went down to Egypt, helpless on account of the word in which God told Abraham that his descendants would have to go into exile. And he resided there. This teaches that, sorry, I, 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 sorry. This is the only thing that we quote from the Bikurim, right? This is the entire passage that we quote from the Bikurim from the Declaration of the First Group. This part right here. And Aramean is destroyed. My father, he went down to Egypt. And he became there a nation, great, powerful, and numerous. But that's it. Now let's go look at the Psukim, the verses, and see what it actually says. You go down, source number three. When you enter the land, you shall go to the priest and say, I acknowledge this day before your God. I've entered the land that Hashem swore to our fathers to assign us. And what do we recite? My father was a fugitive Aramean. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers, sojourned there, but there he became a great and very populous nation. This ends the quote in the Haggadah. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried to Hashem, the God of our ancestors. Hashem heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. Hashem freed us from Egypt by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm, and awesome power, and by signs and portents bringing us to this place and giving us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Why would we not put that part into the Haggadah, right? Once again, we seem to be cutting it off at exactly the wrong place. It's, it's deceptive editing, right? It's not, it's not giving us the full picture. And the, uh, ostensibly, the Seder night is the night when we celebrate the fact that Hashem saved us. But for some reason, we leave out the, these two passages that describe the ending of all of the troubles. We leave out the ending. We only talk about the beginning when we actually found ourselves in such terrible straits. So why is it that we leave out the enemy? So Rav Popko, senior, wanted to suggest an answer that the, at the Seder, we are obligated to look at ourselves as if we ourselves have left Egypt. And that's why we have all of these different processes that are structured in a way to help us develop a sense of actually being in Egypt ourselves, of actually feeling the servitude, right? We're eating the bitter herbs. We're dipping, we're dipping the potato or the parsley into the salt water. We're supposed to be feeling the pain, right? Persians, what they do is they take a green onion 
and they hit the Ashkenazi person sitting at the table. Okay, not the Ashkenazi person sitting at the table. They hit whoever else is sitting at the table, right? Because they want them to feel there's, there's servitude happening right now, right? My in-law's house, my mother-in-law gets these two monster tablecloths, like these plastic tablecloths that have like ocean scene on them. And then we, we, the adults hold up these tablecloths and all the kids go running in between them, right? To feel like now they're leaving. They're doing Kriyat Yamsuk. They're seeing, they're going through the splitting of the sea. It's all about trying to get people an experience as if they themselves were slaves and now they themselves are free. So it starts off by talking about the terrible places where we have been. It then talks about the fact that Hashem saved us. We then talk about the fact that each and every generation Hashem saves us. And then we transition into the second part of the Seder. After we've eaten the food, after we've eaten the Paschal sacrifice, or today after we eat the Apikomen, the last bit of the matzah, we then start singing the end of Hallel, a very joyous recitation of what will happen when Mashiach comes. We start singing songs all about explicitly that when Hashem comes, he will destroy the Malach HaMavas, he will destroy the angel of death. So if we were to encapsulate what it is that we are expressing at the Seder, we are expressing the past, the present, and the future. The reason why we don't describe in the Seder itself, we don't quote the verses in Joshua, we don't quote the verses in Deuteronomy that describe the fact that Hashem redeemed us is obvious. The reason is that part of the story is still unfolding. We don't want us to think that that part is done, it's finished. We no longer play a role. There's, some, there's a sense of finality in the fact, well, we at one point we were enslaved and then Hashem freed us. There's a sense of closure in that statement. But you need to get a sense of during the Seder, precisely during the Seder, we are not yet free. We are still dealing with oppression. We are still dealing with exile until the Jewish people are back in the land of Israel in a halachic state that is ruled over by Mashiach. We are still in exile. The story is still unfolding today. And therefore, we don't quote those two endings of those passages because that would imply, like I said, a sense of finality, a sense of closure. I think we have to remember that at the Seder each and every year. And, uh, and hopefully soon we will not be remembering that because hopefully soon we will go through a redemption that will make the previous redemptions look like child's play in terms of just how amazing it will be when Hashem reveals himself to the world of Mashiach. But at the Seder, our story is still unfolding. And that's why at the Seder, we don't describe it in terms of that sense of closure that is afforded by the language used in Deuteronomy, that is afforded by the language used in Yeshua. Okay, that was the story I wanted to say. Uh, I really enjoyed that that idea. Hope you guys enjoy it too. Everyone should have what we call a Chag Kasher V'Sameach, right? A holiday that is Kasher. Right? Pesach is a difficult one, right? To make your house clean, make sure there's no chametz, make sure you have your, your matzahs kosher. There's so many different elements and aspects that have to be taken care of. Uh, you know, a friend of mine is doing a Seder for the first time this year, and he's very nervous about all the checklists. Which he, he should be nervous. I don't want really to get him more nervous, but, but it is a lot of work involved in doing it. And uh, we say, so what do we say? We say it should be a kosher holiday, but we also say, don't lose sight of the fact that there's also supposed to be simcha at the end of the tunnel, it's supposed to be joy at the end of the tunnel. Don't get too caught up in, in the, the hardships and, and the preparation and feel like you're just a slave and you actually experience what it's like being a slave. No, you're supposed to go to a happiness, you're supposed to go to a joyous, a very a fun and happy Seder. Okay. Zisin Pesach. Zisin Pesach, yeah. Zisin, Sweet Pesach. Yeah. Sweet Pesach, yeah, yeah. Okay, take care, everyone. Be well. Thanks, Amir. Thank you.